Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord and secure in the bedroom. If I can draw your attention to verse number two and three of Matthew chapter four that says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this passage if you've been in church at all in your life i'm sure at some point some preacher has preached on matthew chapter 4 and this whole interaction between jesus christ and the enemy and i i just want to start off just with the simple statement and that is we are looking at jesus tempted i'll just throw it on the screens jesus tempted I I remember when I first heard this passage preached I was a young person a young teenager I'm sure I heard it when I was a child but I wasn't paying attention but I remember the first time I actually heard it preached and remembered it I was a teenager and I I thought to myself wow Jesus tempted people around me as spiritual people, churchy people, Holy Ghost people, holy people were really excited about the sermon, really excited about the passage, really excited about it. A whole lot of amens and a whole lot of preach preacher to whoever was preaching, probably my father, whoever. I remember that folk were just so excited about this whole interaction with Jesus. I, as for me, I, I don't know. I was thinking to myself, now wait a minute. Jesus. Jesus is about to start his earthly ministry. I mean, uh, we saw it in, in Matthew chapter 3 last Sunday, if you were here, that Jesus is about to start his earthly ministry. He's turned 30. He's about to begin to be used. And before he is healing anybody or does anything, he goes to John the Baptist. He gets baptized by John, even though John the Baptist says to him, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. Even though John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And we all know that Jesus didn't have anything to repent for. But because he was at all points, he was perfect. But still, he goes to get baptized by John the Baptist. And I remember as a teenager thinking, that's right. All right, Jesus. He, 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 before he starts anything, he gets baptized. Sounds awesome. All right. In the middle of the baptism, the heavens are open. And a dove comes down. So that means that he is baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. While he's getting baptized in water, which is about repentance... The spirit descends on him like a dove. So he gets baptism in the water, baptize him, baptism in the Holy Spirit. So now he's got spirit on him. He's got his body covered and his spirit covered in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. So not only has his body been baptized, not only has his spirit been baptized, but his soul has heard a confirmation from God. So he has done the right thing with his body. Holy Spirit has fallen on his spirit. And there's also a confirmation for his soul. I don't know about you, but and that doesn't happen all the time. You, know, you don't always get the trifecta. There are times when you feel it spiritually, but physically you're struggling. There are times when you are believing for your healing spiritually, but it hasn't manifested itself in your flesh yet. There are times when you come to the altar and make a commitment to Christ and determine to be saved, but it can take a minute for that salvation to hit your flesh. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. And it's absolutely possible for you to make a commitment to Christ and even be baptized in the Holy Spirit and be around the things of the Spirit and your mind still is not fruitful. It's possible for you to be in church, hear a word from the Spirit, and your soul still have questions. Possible. It, it doesn't happen a lot where you get Holy Ghost, flesh, and an audible confirmation to affect your mind. 
I've been saved a long time, almost all my life. I've been preaching almost 40 years. I haven't gotten a lot of audible confirmations to put my mind at rest. So I, I'm, I'm saying that I'm looking at this passage here. Jesus gets his body in the water. Holy Spirit dove baptizes him in the spirit. He hears a voice from heaven saying, this is my son who I'm, in whom I'm well pleased. He gets confirmation in an audible way. And after that, he is led by the same spirit into a dry place to be tempted. I always thought that <laughs> temptation and interaction with the enemy has to do with your life being raggedy. I was raised in a holiness church, so I was taught that if you are around the wrong stuff, maybe I'm not, if you are wrong, see the problem, at some point, they're going to lay it back at your feet. See, the reason why you was tempted is because where were you? Well, where, well, what exactly were you doing? Or what exactly was going on with you? Uh-huh. And then instead of somebody trying to heal you, they want to diagnose what you did wrong for you to be in this situation that got you jacked up. It's kind of what happened to the church. We became the law more than the light. We became the cops more than doctors. Even though Jesus said the sick need a physician, but what we did is we decided to give the sick police. So we come upon sick folk, broken folk, depressed folk, full of anxiety, Elder Paul, folks that are struggling, and we want to kneel down and say, what'd you do? Amen. Uh-huh. See, the reason why. Have you been reading your Bible? Uh-huh. Have you been praying? Uh-huh. When's the last time you called the guy? Uh-huh. When's the last time you was at church? You know, what's wrong with you? Instead of us actually giving them the balm of Gilead, we want to blame folk for the wrong they did, and I have been guilty of that myself. Trying to figure out who did wrong. Master, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he's in this situation. And the problem with Matthew chapter 4 is that it's thrown, it's a passage that's right in the face of our theological concept as if you can only be tempted if you're out of the will of God. This passage scared me half to death because here's Jesus done everything right. <laughs> and the exact same Holy Ghost led him into a dry place to be tempted by the devil. And it made me nervous because I realized, and I'm going to throw this on the screens for everybody, and I let it sink in deep because it still makes me a little bit nervous to put it on there, but that is the devil plays a role in the life of the call. The devil plays a role in the life of the called. For every one of us, I know that's me, who wants to claim Romans 8, all things work together for the good of them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. We want the all things work together for the good of them who love God and are the called. Well, just know, if there's a calling in your life, you're going to deal with the devil. Who am I talking to? If there's a calling on your life, Satan going to show up. If there's a calling on your life, oh, you're going to know who the devil is. If you think that the way to totally be away from the devil is to give your life to Christ and be saved and be around church, you've got another thing coming. I will contend that when you get serious about the Lord, the tempter will come and test you to see do you really know God? Who am I talking? Are you really saved? The minute you get saved, all of a sudden a test comes. And I had to come to grips with the fact that the devil plays a life in the role, plays a role in the life of anybody that's called, anybody that talks to God. Any, as a matter of fact, uh, sorry, but the minute you start to praise God, and are determined to seek his face and determined to get yourself prepared to commune with God's spirit. The same practice 
that gets you in a place where you can hear the voice of God is the same practice that ought to help you recognize now that is the devil. You, you ought to be able to say, that's God, that's the enemy. <laughs> that is the Lord. Oh, Satan, get behind me. Now that is not the Lord. And, and if you think that hearing God makes you have an absence of the voice of the enemy. I'm sorry, hate to bust your bubble, but here's Jesus. I mean, if Jesus was tempted by the devil. Come on now. If the Christ had to deal with the enemy and temptation, you gotta get yourself ready. The other big truth that I didn't see then, I didn't see it when I was a teenager, but I definitely see it now, is that Christ, and I put it on screens, Christ was tempted by appetite. The temptation of Christ, the initial temptation, when the enemy first comes at Jesus, here is Jesus, he has been baptized, he got the Holy Ghost, he has heard an audible confirmation that he is the son of God. And now the enemy comes to tempt him. And the first temptation he gets hit with is an appetite temptation. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says after fasting, he was hungry. Can we admit, Holy Ghost people, that after a fast, you get hungry? I need a witness. After a fast, after a consecration, after a time of dedication, when you decide to dedicate spiritually afterwards, your flesh will rise up and you will be hungry after you fasted. You can be even more hungry after the fast than you were before it. Before the fast, there was only certain things you wanted to eat. After the fast, you want everything. You want mayonnaise. You want bread. You want everything. You, you take a fast from certain some particular thing, and after the fast is over, there's a hunger that's there. And so my point is, is that there is an appetite. Jesus is tempted by appetite. When the tempter comes to Jesus to tempt him, he doesn't tempt. He tempts him with something that actually is not demonic, but is flesh. Now, I know, I know, for a lot of us, maybe for many of you, this don't apply, you don't, you're, you're like, oh yeah, whatever, PA, just go ahead and teach us the truth. But for a lot of us, what we were made to believe was that our fleshly appetite was demonic. Your problem is you got a lust spirit. Your problem is you got a demon spirit. And so, especially as a teenager, I spent a whole lot of time at the altar over appetite. Who am I talking to? I wish I had a witness in the building. They preached, if your eye offend you, cut it off. If your hand offend you, cut it off. If your eye offend you, pluck it out. And I'm saying, so what if you tell me that if my hands offends me, I have to actually cut it off? Well, what if the part that's offending you is not your hand? <laughs> well, where my dudes at? Wait, 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 wait. What are you trying to give me? Every, I hit the altar a lot as a teenage boy over something that wasn't my hand. I can't get no amens on that. Somebody just said, well, my hand wasn't my Anyway, wait. what I'm saying is, is I, I hit the altar. I had a whole lot of guilt and a whole lot of condemnation over a fleshly appetite that I was taught was a demon. Sorry, but there's no bread demon. There is no Oreo cookie demon. Ooh, that's the one I have. There is no Reese's peanut buttercup spirit. I need prayer, Pastor Andy. I need prayer. What do you need prayer for? Ribs. I, you can come up here 
all you want. I'll put a cross of barbecue sauce on your forehead. I cannot rebuke ribs off your life. Because ribs is attached to your appetite. What you need prayer for? I pass it. I need prayer because I just, mm, uh, oh, if you could just pray for me. I just need, oh, uh, if the Lord can just remove this desire for men's, I just, oh, help us, Pastor Andy. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just trying to raise my babies and I'm just trying to do what I got to do and I, and I can't, I, I, I can't, I'm sorry, I can rebuke, I can lay hands, we can fast and pray, but your sexual appetite wasn't given to you by the devil puberty hit you stuff woke up your your reproductive system came online and it has a mind of its own can't get no amens in here has a mind of its own you know the stuff you don't want to notice When the enemy comes to tempt Jesus, he decides first to attack him at the appetite level. And Jesus' response, he says, hey, if you're hungry, why don't you take these stones and make them bread? Now, I don't know about you, but I thought to myself, well, Jesus, why not just shut the devil up and show that you really are the son of God and just take stones and make them bread. But I, the reason why Jesus says, yeah, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is because there's a danger in starting to overly consider the sameness of stones and bread. The idea that bread and stones can be interchangeable for one another is a dangerous proposition. The idea that, hey, why don't we take stones and make them bread and then we can also take bread and make them stones. Last Sunday, we looked at Matthew chapter 7, in which Jesus said, anyone who hears his words of mine puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Rain came down, stream rose, wind blew, beat against the house. It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. If you were here, if you weren't, you can watch it again on the YouTube if you tuned in and missed it or if you weren't here. And we said, one of the things we talked about was the importance of the rock, the importance of the stone, the importance of the firm foundation, the importance of the security. In other words, what I'm saying to you is it's extremely dangerous to start thinking about stones and bread in the same way. For you to think to yourself, okay, well, let me think about bread. The, the enemy comes and says, look, bread, stones, what's the difference? Why don't you make stones, bread, and inevitably, possibly, breads, stones. See, Jesus says, look, we got to get the order right. You can't just live on bread alone. It is a dangerous proposition for you to allow your appetite to be the thing that you see as foundational. It's one thing for bread to be on top of stone. It's one thing for you to get the word of God and your maturity and your security and your sense of who you are and your strength of self and your power in the word, your power in your mind, your power in yourself. That is something to be built on that will be stormproof. Then you can take your appetite and your appetite can then be built on top of the foundation of the stone. What is dangerous is to switch them. And there's a whole lot of us, the problem with us right now is that we decided to take something solid and put it on top of something that was never meant to hold up a foundation in the first place, my God. We decided 
to make food the foundation. We decided to make booty the foundation. Whole lot of dudes out here, they just decided their whole point of life is tapping it. Come on, talk to me now, gentlemen. That, that, that's where you were. You, you bought your car to get some. You wore your clothes to get some. You went to certain places to get some. Ladies can all go out together and hang out and be together and have a wonderful time. Men, we don't really go nowhere if there ain't going to be no booty there to be had. That got quiet in here. You could have a great big women's conference and women will pack this room out. Men, <laughs> men, there are people who have built their life on the appetite of their stomach. They have taken the stone that is life and now instead of letting bread be on top of stone, they have decided to make stone on top of bread and this is the life they live forever. They always, and the problem with, with stone on bread is that you will never have real solid foundation as long as it is all about the booty, as long as it is all about some dude who wears size 13, as long as it is about having money and blinging and clothes, as long as it's about what kind of car you drive in, as long as a biscuit is your foundation, you will forever be shaky. Ain't nothing wrong with a biscuit, you just can't build on it. Ain't nothing wrong with a nice car, you just can't build on it. Ain't nothing wrong with a fine woman, you just can't build your whole life on one. Ain't nothing wrong with a dude who's 6'2 with a size 14, hallelujah girl. But as long as you don't build your foundation on that, who am I talking to in this room? Who am I talking to around the world? thing that's interesting is that this concept, Elder, this concept was readily accepted. But we have now reached a place in our culture and our society in which we have decided that sex is a foundation upon which to build on. We've decided that sex, sexual orientation, well, what, what kind of sex, your, your sexual identity, we have decided that this is a foundational issue. I'm not saying it's not an important issue. I just don't know if it's a foundational issue. I don't know if that is going to make everything stable. I know it's the Sunday before Valentine's Day, and if you're single, I'm sure there are many folks who are thinking, if I just had me somebody, can I tell you right now, there's somebody in here right now who has somebody, and it ain't stable. Don't clap too loud now, y'all, because we don't. There's, there's somebody watching right now who thought all I need is a woman and found out it wasn't stable. All I need is a man and found out it wasn't stable. Thought all I need is a job that pays me double what I make now and found out that the appetite was not as stable as the real rock. You better get the rock right. You better get the rock right. I say you better get the rock right. You better call on Jesus, the stone that the built is this church, the stone that the builders rejected. You better get something foundational that you can build on besides just your belly being full. Because stone don't make a good foundation on bread. But bread can get on top of that stone. Philippians chapter 3, why I, why I jumped to this, and let me, let me get on, and I done preached some, and I'm going to meddle a little bit. Help me, Holy Ghost. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, the apostle Paul says, yeah, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm pressing forward. 
Brothers and sisters, when I think of myself, I think of myself humbly. I think of myself with a grain of salt. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of everything or that I'm perfect or that I'm complete. There's one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which Christ Jesus called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, where I'm trying to get to, all of us then who are mature, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. If you're watching around the world, you're with me right now in this room, and you don't like this analogy, or you don't like what I've implied, and you don't like what I'm saying, you're of a generation in which you feel like I'm not being understanding of people's uh, issues, and I'm making light of the importance of appetite. I got you, don't mean to be rude, no shade, man, but might I suggest you got some growing to do. Might I suggest, before you overly judge me, might I suggest, younger than 53, take a deep breath. <laughs> older, than, older than 53, you can call me, write me, have something to say to me. Younger than 53, might I suggest that what you think at 25 is not what you'll think at 35, not what you'll think at 45, certainly not what you'll think at 53. Can I get a witness in the building? I said, can I get a witness in the building? A part of the reason why that this moment is so important is because Paul is saying, I'm, I'm going to give you a notion, and if you don't agree with me, well, might I suggest that you're not as mature as you need to be. Now... <laughs> When it comes to insecure in the bedroom and, and you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing on insecure and I, I knew at some point I was going to talk about relationships a little bit. I'm going to touch on it a little bit today. But when it comes to the bedroom, when it comes to sex, when it comes to love and romance and sex, I think if there's one thing we will all agree about, and it is that love and sex is for the mature. Can I get an amen in the church? Love and sex is for the mature. I mean, and, and of course, maturity is a variable that we can discuss. But, but I remember giving Valentine's cards in elementary school. No? You gave it to you, and you filling out now. The, in the elementary school I went to, they made you give an, a, a Valentine's Day card to everybody. Help us, Holy Ghost. They didn't want it to be like Charlie Brown. You know how Charlie Brown wasn't there. A Charlie Brown Valentine's, and he didn't get no Valentine's, and nobody gave Charlie Brown a Valentine. Yeah, I'm just dating myself with Charlie Brown cartoons. What I'm saying is, is they, didn't, they wanted to make sure that didn't happen in my school. So you had a list of all your classmates, and you had to give a Valentine's to everybody. You had to give a Valentine's card to the girls you did not like. And in the third grade, you didn't like girls no way. So you giving a Valentine's Day card to everybody because they wanted to make sure. But in the third grade, the Valentine's Day card was just a celebration of the Valentine's Day. Didn't nobody expect nothing to happen with somebody in the third grade as a result of Valentine's Day. I hope and pray. That you did not give somebody a Valentine's Day card in the third grade hoping to get you some. Talk to me. Of course not because we would think, yeah, well, love and sex is, there's got to be some maturity that's a part of it. There's been a whole lot of re-examination of sexual norms and sexuality and, and a whole lot of stuff that we used to think we don't necessarily think anymore. But one thing we have held on to is that sex isn't really for children. 
Can I get everybody to put their hands together on that one? We all will agree. There's a certain guy, I won't name his, say his name, and, but he was a record singer, song guy. Matter of fact, I had, uh, back when I did the Real Love Seminar, I had a whole uh, week that used the title of one of his songs. Just for, He is now not to be named because we're all mad at him because we realize that we are listening, if, if you even listen to his songs, and we don't, but if you do, you're listening to them now with a little bit of a shake of your head like, Wait a minute, who exactly was he talking to when he said it seems like you're... Anyway, my point is, is that uh, why are we so mad at him? And rightly so, it's because we've decided that there is an age at which sex and love is allowable. So, as I wrap up... <laughs> To stay out of trouble, help us, in the last six, seven minutes. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is, I think the benchmark should be maturity. Paul is saying, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think different, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So why maturity? All right, well, I, I, I'm saying when it comes to Valentine's and love and all of this, why is maturity required? I'll give you a couple of things the Holy Ghost said to me, and, uh, and, and, I, and I trust that it'll be a blessing to you. The first one, number one, why maturity is because wisdom comes with maturity, and it takes wisdom to choose. Wisdom comes with maturity, and it takes maturity to choose because, like it or not, God isn't going to do the choosing for you. I know a whole lot of us raised with some kind of idea like God is choosing her or God is choosing him. But sorry, there is no Bible where God chooses anybody for anybody. Hosea, but, but. In Hosea, the Lord says to Hosea to take to himself an adulterous woman, and that is to be an example. So that's not even the norm. And even then, God don't give a name. So if you're sitting around here waiting for God to write her name on the wall, come on, Jesus. Uh, uh, write her name, Jesus. Shaquandalisha. Hey, you you waiting for God to write Diamondisha. That's what you're waiting for God to write. Hey, you waiting for God to write that hopefully he can spell it. You got kind of get God to write that name that's not Bible. We have to be prepared for the truth. And the truth is that the Bible culturally around relationships is different than our present world. It gets sticky when we try to apply the Bible to relationships in our culture because the biblical culture is so different. A part of the reason why God didn't choose is because you didn't even choose. That's not how it worked. The way it worked in the Bible times is I see you, I like you. I go to my daddy and I say, hey dad, I saw somebody I like. My daddy, go to your daddy. And they make a deal. Your daddy says it's going to take six camels. It's going to take eight. It's going to take this. It's going to take that. There's a price. I know we don't like this. There's a bride price that has to be paid. You don't get no woman for free. You got to pay a price. I know y'all don't like that because you don't necessarily want to be seen as a commodity. I got you, but can you take the good of it? And that is that you don't just get it for nothing. It's hard to be a prize when there's no price. Oh, I got to move on because I'm going to get in real trouble. 
but you want to be the prize. I'm the prize, girl. I'm the prize. Well, if you are the prize, baby girl, then you better figure out what your price be. Is it a camel? Is it a half a camel? <laughs> My daddy go to your daddy and make a deal. Now, the question now is, does your daddy need my daddy's money? That's the question in the Bible. Malachi, you see her? Your daddy go to her daddy. The question is, does her daddy need your daddy's money? Now, if her daddy got more money than your daddy, then he may go to his daughter and say, you like Malachi? And you might be like, I ain't even thinking about no Malachi. <laughs> and then your daddy, depending on your age, because if you're getting a little old, your daddy may say, you don't like nobody. <laughs> you and Malachi about to get together. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that now the question is, now if your daddy need money, girl, you going. Come on, let's talk about the reality of it. You're going. Your daddy need the money, you're going. Your family's in trouble financially, you're going. Abraham sends his servant to get a wife for Isaac. The, the servant shows up. He got camels laid down with stuff. He gives her a gift. He gives the family stuff. Afterwards, he's ready to go. They're like, hey, let the girl hang out with us. Let Rebecca hang out with us for a little while longer. He's like, no, no, no. I've come to do what I've come to do. This is a business transaction. She goes back. She meets Isaac. She goes into his tent and becomes his wife. She has sex with him the first time she meets him. Just get off the stage, PA. She has sex on the first date. Because it's not a date. Because the choice is not theirs. It's a different biblical culture. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? It's a different biblical culture. And so what we have to do is we have to take a look. And here it leads to my second point. And that is, sorry, but sexual norms are cultural not eternal. Sexual norms are cultural, not eternal. Now, unfortunately, we were taught Christ within a cultural expression of Christ. When Christ was preached to us, Christ was preached to us by a cultural generation of people who decided to not just preach Christ, but to preach Christ in their culture. So when they showed up to Africa, they wouldn't baptize you unless you changed your name. That's why you got so many Pauls and Marys, because instead of you keeping your name Zavai, Mitch Cora, they're going to make you change your name to fit their culture because they didn't preach Christ. They preached Christ in their culture. I want to amen on that one. So what, what we have to understand is that there were cultural norms in here that are different than cultural norms now. And so we're, we're talking about norms that are cultural and not eternal. Number three, third reason why you need maturity. Where's my clock? Come on, y'all. Don't take it down. I got to get off the stage. Third reason why. Hey, just turn the clock off. Keep on PA. Third reason why you need maturity. And this is a hard one. Take a deep breath. This one's going to be tough. But it's because men and women are not the same sexually. Sexually, we're not the same. Men and women, not the same. We're not. Ladies, you don't need sameness for equality. What happened is that in a vein for equality, and you deserve equality, but in a chase for equality, 
there decided to be a movement in which they said, we are the same as a guy. So instead of just battling for equality, there became this agenda that I believe is demonic to say that men and women are exactly alike. But I'm sorry, baby girl. Men and women are not alike. As a matter of fact, if you meet a real dude, we don't need you to be like us. Oh, help us. And if you meet a real woman, you don't need us to be like you. Because y'all are not interested in no dude who's like, well, first of all, I was very tired. You do not need a dude who communicates like you. Elder Dion, when you come home and you say, Elder Paul, how was your day? If he said, well, first of all, Dion, you have to realize I was so tired this morning. And you know that Paul Jr. has been getting on my last nerves. <laughs> you would not be a I'm sorry. If you like men, you like men. You like men if you like men. And if you like women, you like women. You don't like overly masculinized. We'll fight you in a mall, kick your behind woman. Oh, I wish I had a witness in the building. You want a woman who takes quick steps. If a, dude, if a woman's walking like this with you on a day, you are going to be looking at her. You want a woman who's like, let's go. You don't want some woman that's like, what you want to eat, bro? What you want to eat, bro? And I'm sorry, in the agenda of sameness, women and men are becoming so much like each other that it's hard to disseminate who's who and what is. My God, I know I'm gonna get in trouble for it. But uh, at this point right now, in my day, there was a way that girls talked. I'm amazed at videos on TikTok that I see of a dude on his knee Asking a woman to marry her and marry him, and she is like, No, the F you are not. Get the, no, bro, get the F out here, bro. And I'm thinking, Would I be asking a woman to marry me who said F U C K and bro in the breath of my diamond? Who told you to call us bro? Who told you to call us mm? Who told you to act like that with us? Who told you that being like us is sexy? Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you to be like us? You wouldn't like it if we were like you? If we came with the ring and we were just like, I've been searching for you my whole life. And, and I, you know, I was born in June and, and, and I've always wanted to get engaged in June. And let me just, wait, I got it before I get on my, if we were like that, you'd be like, are you a man? One of the things in the show is that there's a period where Issa and Molly and Kelly, not so much Tiffany if you've seen the show, in which they just decide that they are just going to exercise their whole power. They're trying to get somebody in a hotation. Ho, H-O-Ho. They just decide, yeah, I mean, because the idea is, yeah, women need to be just like men sexually. Sounds like an idea, but the truth of the matter is, you weren't really built like that. The way that you're built is better than the way we're built. We don't need you to be like us like that. Help us, Holy Ghost. <laughs> I will contend that, and I said this at the very beginning, 
that the lack of intimacy and intimacy is a scary thing. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to find a way. Whatever you feel about whatever identity it is, got you. I still think that a man who's a man ought to be able to be recognized as a man. If he is like, I'm a man, then can he please act like a man? Can I not be pressurized to be like you? And can you not be pressurized to be like me? Number four. <laughs> Number four. No time up there at all. Number four. You need to be mature because sex can create life. I know we can all say yes to that. Because there's a whole lot of us found that out the hard way. <laughs> it's not just recreational. It's procreational. You need to be mature because it's possible that you may have a child. So can you support a child, gentlemen? Can you support a child? You know what would be awesome? It would be awesome if every single time, it would be amazing if we always thought, can we support? <laughs> if there was just, if there was a check on the book, can you support a child? Can you handle a child? Can you support a child? You're going to have to be mature because sex can create life. There is a procreational aspect of it. We have to be wise because we may end up with a kid. I got quiet. But we may end up with a kid. Can you support a child? Can you share a child with someone that you're not with? I don't really go on into meddling now. Can you share a child with somebody that you're not with? That takes maturity. Takes maturity to share a child and not be with the person. Takes maturity to realize that just because he was bad to you doesn't mean that he may be bad to his child. It's possible that he may be a good father and a bad boyfriend. See how quiet it got? It may be possible that just because you can't stand her doesn't mean that she's not a good mother. It's going to take some maturity. It's going to take some maturity for you to not get so mad in the rejection that you decide to use the child as a bargaining chip to hold somebody hostage to do what you want them to do. And now we're going to find some guide that is given to you by somebody to tell you what to do to wreck a situation. Somebody got to call it out. Are you mature? Gentlemen, are we mature? Ladies, are we mature? One of the things that's so interesting about today... <laughs> Is there, we are now at a time, especially if you're an African-American person, for so long, the black man was depicted as so negative. Somebody saw a black man, they thought criminal. Somebody saw a black man, they thought something bad. Some, somebody saw a black man, they was, I can't tell you how many times, I'm 53, so I can't tell you how many times somebody said to me, you're just so articulate for a black person. You're just so smart for a black man. You're just so intelligent for a, as a black man because we were depicted as children, gentlemen. We were depicted as ignorant. We were depicted as not articulate. It wasn't just something that happened accidentally. It was intentionally done within this country to depict us in a, in a certain way. It's why the justice system is so swayed against us because there was a way in which we were depicted in a very negative light. But what's sad is that now our sisters, black women, my sisters, my daughters, you have been depicted equally bad now as us. Even by your own people. There are black men in this room whose mamas are black 
and sisters are black, and daughters are black, and they even have a wife that's black. But when you say black women to them, they get a little nervous. Biden has decided to nominate a Supreme Court justice as a black woman. You ain't never heard this kind of outcry before because black women, y'all all need to get together and hire a PR firm to represent you properly. And you need to sit down and get a handle on all the black women who are misrepresenting you as evil and loud and mad and angry because you're not all like that. But what has happened now is that we have been betrayed so immaturely Number five, and I'm done. Anybody hearing a word from the Lord? Because I know I'm just, last point, last point, last point. I ain't done this in a long time. Last point, number five. Sex is an appetite that has to be managed and not suppressed. Takes wisdom for this. Sex is an appetite that has to be managed and not suppressed. When I talked about the stone that the builder rejected, and I talked about the stone on top of the appetite, I would contend that this situation is also what happened to us who were in church. What they decided to do was take Jesus and squash your appetite with it. Your problem is you need more Jesus. That's what you need. That's your problem. And so instead of us deciding that the appetite is important and does need to be supported by the word and supported by character and supported by strength, instead of doing this, it's not even just the world that did this. The church did this too. The church decided to take Jesus and squash appetite and act like appetite has to be suppressed and not managed. But there is almost nothing as dangerous as a suppressed appetite. If you're in this room and you've started the new year off fresh like me, and you're like, okay, I'm getting back in shape and I'm getting my body back together, and that's what you're doing, I would suggest before you leave the house that you put some snack bars, some acne bars, some water, something in your car. Because if you get hungry enough, you will be at Burger King. I wish I had a witness in the building. I know I'm not the only one been so hungry. I'm tearing open Doritos and eating Doritos like they good. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one that got hungry and decided to eat a Cinnabon at the air. I know I'm not the only one that's just licking drizzle. I know I'm not the only one because I got so hungry, I didn't bring no fruit with me. You better find something that can manage your appetite and not just suppress it. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. Because sex is bread, not stone. And what that means is you have to be careful squashing your bread. I will contend that in an effort to just try to be right, we talked only stone and never really talked about the importance of bread. That's why I'm doing this, as uncomfortable as it is. It's uncomfortable for me. It used to be really easy when I was in my 30s. At 53, it's not as comfortable. But the reason why I'm doing it is because somebody got to talk about it at some point some point. I know, it's, I know it's not black and white in the Bible. The Bible doesn't really address it because there is no dating in the Bible because it's all arranged. But somebody got to get in here and talk about it because we can't just act like bread is not real. Jesus said man does not live on bread alone. Meaning you can't only survive on bread. 
He didn't say, don't nobody need no bread. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, I'm not even hungry. No, no, no. The Bible says that Jesus was hungry. We have a problem with the idea that Jesus was even hungry, Pastor Al. We want Jesus so holy that he never got hungry. When I was a teenager, there was a very controversial movie that came out called The Last Temptation of Christ. I don't know if you remember it. Ah, Willem Dafoe, Last Temptation of Christ. Very controversial movie. I was in high school, maybe going into college. Very controversial movie. And I won't tell you the whole movie, but basically it's Jesus and his disciples. And what basically happens is Jesus was on the cross. And Satan appears to him when he's on the cross and says, why don't you get down? You've done enough. The Lord doesn't want you to die. He just wanted you to be willing to be on the cross. And Jesus comes down off the cross. And Jesus ends up getting married. And Jesus ends up having some children. So they're very, I mean, it was, their folks marched against it and, and, and picketed. And Christians were very up in arms about it. For me, Pastor Andy, I'm sorry, maybe I'm just crazy. But it's one of the reasons why I'm even in the ministry. It's because I realized, because at the very, very end of the movie, the disciples find Jesus. He's old. His grandchildren are around him. Jerusalem is burning. The world is on fire. And his disciples find him and say, you missed it. You were supposed to die for the sins of the world. And in that moment, ooh, he goes back in time. And Jesus is back on the cross and he says to Satan, get behind me. And that is the last temptation of Christ. The last temptation of Christ was for him to get down off the cross. Sorry, but maybe, just maybe, Jesus was tempted to get down. Oh, I'm walking deep now. Maybe Jesus saw somebody he thought was cute. Time to shut it down, PA. Time to shut it down. Maybe, maybe Jesus was at all points tempted yet without sin. Isn't that what the Bible says? Christians picketed the movie because they don't like the idea of hunger. But beloved, we got to have bread to be bread. And stone to be stone. If you heard a word from the Lord, put your hands together. <laughs> Praise Him. Can I get you to give really quickly? This is our second offering, our building fund offering. Really, really quickly. I'm not going to hold you too long. I know we went over, but it was good. It's overtime, but it was good. And so if I can get you to give, and we'll put the QR code up on the screen really quickly. And we are giving to this Victory Park. One of the things I'm excited about with Victory Park is that it has both a physical component, a spiritual component, a soulish component. We got asked you to make a pledge. We asked you to give to it, and I'm asking you to continue to make a pledge and continue to pay on your pledge because we're on our way. One of the banks came up just to meet with me just this past week, and we started talking about the vision, and I was talking to them about, took them over to our counseling center. And I told them how in our next space on this Victory Campus, uh, we're going to have double the space for the counseling center. And not only will we be able to, to offer counseling to people, not just spiritual, because the counseling center doesn't just offer spiritual counseling, it offers psychological counseling. In the month of March, I'm going to be doing a series on anxiety and depression in the month of March. And so, the, uh, but in our new space, our... Our counseling center will be double. One of the other things I want in the new space in our counseling center is I want guidance counseling there. Guidance counseling. I want someone to be able to walk in at 26 or 27 and sit down and meet with someone who can help them figure out how they can go to school, what are the options that are open to them. Well, just because you're not in high school doesn't mean you don't need guidance counseling. Some of us didn't really value guidance counseling when we were in high school, and we need it now. My prayer is that this place that we build will 
have our sanctuary. They, we, it'll have a sanctuary similar to this, around the same size. And then it'll have a court and a court and a court and a court. And there'll be basketball and, and AAU and tournaments and practices and volleyball and cheer and, and, and soccer fields outside. And then men playing basketball leagues and men playing ball and, and, and midnight basketball for, for, for people in trouble. And, and, and then counseling and guidance. And uh, I, I'm believing there's going to be a spiritual... They're going to be a physical. They're going to be a soulish. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. I need your help. I need you to give. If you never gave before, I need you to give. If you're watching around the world, you've never given before, I need you to give. I, I usually ask for at least $50, but whatever it is that God lays on your heart to give, if you've made a pledge, we've asked you to make a pledge of $1,000 or $2,000 or $3,000 or $4,000 or $5,000 or $10,000 or $50,000 or I think the largest pledge is a, someone made a pledge of a quarter of a million dollars. And so how, whatever God has, however God has blessed you, pledge, give, and it shall be given unto you again. Good measure, press down, shaking together, running over, and I need you to be a tither. I need you to be generous. If you need an offering envelope, raise your hand. One of the gatekeepers will come to you quickly. But really, the easiest way is right on that, right, right with that code. And if you're watching around the world, we need you to give. You can join in with us. We are the universal body of Christ. Come on, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to speak your word, to speak truth, to search the scriptures for eternal truth. Thank you, Lord God, that you are making us secure. Thank you for the stone that the builders rejected. Thank you that right now we're going to do more than just build on our stomach, our appetite. We want to build something solid. On Christ, the solid rock we stand. On all the ground is sinking sand. Thank you for every gift and giver. Thank you for every millionaire in the room. Thank you for every person that you're blessing. Thank you for the deal. Thank you for the, 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 the contracts. Thank you, God, for that, that closing. Thank you for the move of your spirit, not just in a church way, but in a marketplace way. Have your way in us. Blow our businesses to another level. Blow them up. Make us rich so that we can be generous on every occasion. Don't just make us rich just so we can say we're rich. Make us rich so that we can provide what you need for the kingdom. Thank you for the kings and queens in this room. Thank you for the kings and queens watching around the world. Take this offering and multiply it supernaturally in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. God bless you as you give. So glad that you were with us today and so excited that you came to worship with us. I know we went over and and uh, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, and men's ministry is having a Super Bowl event today. What does it start at 5.30, 5 o'clock, 5.30? Doors open at 5.30, and there's going to be food and fellowship and the game. And so, gentlemen, if you, you want to watch the game with a bunch of guys that are serious about the Lord and just saved and just having a, a good time and uh, just in fellowship, sometimes it's fun to watch the game with a bunch of other people. And... Um, well, it's gonna be, we'll be in a huge space, and so it'll be safe, and, and uh, so we invite you to come back at 5.30 if that's something you'd like to do, and there are men who are signed up, and they're definitely going to come back, and so certainly you're welcome to do that, and the Wednesday night services have been still virtually online, and we're planning on doing a, a in-person Wednesday night service at least once a month starting in March, and we'll do baptisms and that kind of stuff in that, but we're excited. Can you step on your feet really quickly? I'm just can you give the gatekeepers just another second just to collect the offering? Thank you so much for giving. Thank you much, so much for your time. I know we've gone a little bit over today, but this is nothing in comparison to how most of us went in church. I wish I had a witness in the building. Most of us was in Sunday school at 9.30 and 11 o'clock devotion started. Preacher didn't get up till 12. Talk to me, safe people. And you had to be back at 6 o'clock for church. So it's a little after 12. It's okay. It was good. Well, Lord, I just want to thank you and praise you for the word that is a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. We thank you that the entrance of your word sheds light. And as we walk in the light, as you're in the light, we have fellowship with one another and your blood cleanses us. Thank you for living so big in us today. 
Thank you for speaking to us and through us. Now God bless your people as they leave, as they go home, as they go to fellowship. Bless everyone that's watching around the world as they share this message. God, as it is talked about, and, and, and God, I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in your sight and that you'll know where our heart is, even where our words fall short. Thank you that you know where our heart is. God, we know the plans you have for us, and we want to walk according to your way. And so, God, we ask you to bless your people. Make your face shine upon your people in this room and in every continent around the world. Be gracious to your people and give us peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. We all sit together. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for coming to church with us. God bless you. Thanks so much for tuning in with us today. God bless you. We are trying to, to secure the future of World Overcoming. Trying to build a building that's not dependent on tithes and offerings. Victory Park is a big sports complex place with a sanctuary in the middle of it. And there'll be practices and basketball tournaments and this division I have in which it will be generating income all of the time so that our children won't have to carry the weight of the church like we had to carry the weight of the church. But also so that the church can continue to be generational to every generation. So what we're trying to do right now is to build something not just for us, but build something that will be sustainable after we're not here.